This morning I'd like to begin by making a statement as it relates to our culture that I know some may argue, some may say that I'm just being too negative, I'm being too cynical, uh, I'm looking at the, cla- the glass half empty rather than half full. But I think if I was forced to defend myself and somebody in contradiction to me was forced to defend their position, I think I would have an easier time proving my case. So that's why I'm about to say what I'm going to say, and I trust that most of you would agree with this. The statement is this, is that we seem to be living in a culture that is becoming more and more self-absorbed, that we are living in a culture that is becoming more and more centered on oneself. It's not to say that people don't do kind things. It's not to suggest that people don't ever think of somebody other than themselves. But if we were just to look at our society and our culture from a very general perspective, from just a a broad approach, here's what we would have to say, is that it seems pretty obvious that people are becoming more and more consumed with self and the desires that they have and the wants that they have. And as a result, they are not as mindful as others. They are not as mindful of those people as they ought. So that being said, I've said this before by way of principle. Some of you have heard me say this in the past, but I want to say it again. And that would be this, is that it seems as though what plagues the culture eventually seems to be what serves as a problem in the church. That the church does not stay immune to the issues of culture and the issues of society. And so what we would have to be honest and admit this morning is this, is that many people sitting in the church have become far more self-centered and far more self-absorbed than absorbed than people used to be in the past. All right, it, it tends to be the 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 norm even in churches now that people are so consumed with themselves, they are so consumed with their time, their money, their priorities, their desires, whatever it may be that you almost cannot pry people into thinking of others and thinking outside of themselves. Now, again, this doesn't mean that there are not random acts of kindness, that there aren't people who try to think outside of themselves in relation to others. But again, from a very broad perspective, from a very general perspective, it seems as though even in the church we are dealing with a more selfish, more self-centered attitude than ever before. So that in mind, this morning, I want us to begin looking in Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 7 is where the message is going to begin. There is a reason why we're looking at this passage this morning. You'll understand it better next week if you make your way back next week. But in Matthew chapter 7 is where we're going to begin the sermon. And for those of you who may not know, I just want to share with you a little bit of background, a little bit of context to this chapter. This chapter or the thoughts from this chapter really began back in chapter 5, and this is a portion of Scripture that is commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. This is when Christ was speaking to his disciples. It began just Christ and those 12 men who followed him on a regular basis. 
But as was often the case when Christ was in the area, when Christ was in the vicinity, the masses or the multitudes would make their way to where Christ was. They would invite themselves to hear what he was saying, to watch what he was doing, and maybe the miracles that he was performing. And so though it begins with a very small, intimate crowd of Christ and his disciples in chapter 5, by the time you get to the end of chapter 7, you understand that there was a multitude present. And so in chapter 7, Christ is not just speaking to 12 people. He is speaking to an untold number of people. So in Matthew chapter 7, verse number 13, here is what we see. We see that Christ makes this statement to all who were in attendance that day. He said, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Verse number 14, Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Now, I'm not going to deal with this passage in all the details in which it could be dealt with. There are so many directions that this sermon could be taken. But I want us to notice something just very quickly that many of us, again, are familiar with. But in verse 13 and 14, here is what Christ makes clear, is that in this life there are two paths a person chooses to be on. It will either be the broad path or it will be the narrow path. It will be the wide gate or it will be the narrow gate. There are only two paths that an individual can be on. They will either be on one or the other. And the admonition from Christ to those who were in attendance that day was this, is that what you want to do is you want to enter in at the straight gate. What a person ought to desire and what a person ought to want for their lives is that the path of life that they would take, the direction of life that they would take would be this, that they would enter into that narrow gate, that they would enter into that that small road, so to speak. And here is why he said, because it is that which leadeth unto life. This narrow gate, this gate that that isn't as broad, that isn't as wide as the other gate, he said, this is the one that you want to enter because this gate and this path and this manner of life, it will lead to an abundant life. It will lead to a satisfied life. It will lead to a fulfilled life. And the implication of this context or the implication of the chapter is this, is not only does it lead to an abundant life while on this earth, it will lead to eternal life in heaven at the conclusion of this life. Okay, so the challenge and the admonition by Christ to those who are in attendance this day or on that day was this, is listen, for your life you want to choose the narrow path. You want to choose that narrow gate, that narrow way for this reason, because it will give you an abundant life and it will be the road that leads to eternal life in heaven with Christ forever at the conclusion of this life here on earth. Well, why would you want to avoid the broad, the broad gate, the, 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 the wide gate? Why would you want to avoid that one? Well, notice what he said. He said of the broad gate that it leads to destruction. It leads to destruction. This broad gate, this wide gate, this, this large gate, he said, here's what it leads to. It does not lead to an abundant life. It does not lead to a happy life. It does not lead to a fulfilled life. It doesn't matter how happy and content and satisfied 
people try to look, if they are on this wide path, if they have gone through this wide gate, they are people who are slowly but eventually destroying their lives. And I want us to hear this. That path not only leads to a miserable life on this earth, it leads to a miserable eternity because it will lead one down the path of destruction eternally where hell will be the forever home of that individual. Now, please let us listen to what's being said this morning, all right? This is so important. He said, you want to enter in at the straight gate and not the broad gate or the wide gate because the straight gate, the narrow gate, it leads to life and the other leads to destruction. Now, I want us to notice what Christ said in relation to all this because it is so important. Notice what he said. He said of the wide gate, the wide path, he said, Many there be which go in thereat. Many there be which go in thereat. And then in verse number 14 of the straight gate or the narrow gate, he said, And few there be that find it. So in verse number 13 of the broad or of the wide gate, he said, Many there be which go in thereat, but this narrow gate, there are few that find it that make the decision to live in the narrow way. So you understand this? Christ says there are only one of two paths that you can be on. One leads to life and one leads to destruction. And the one that leads to destruction, unfortunately, there are many on that one. But the one that leads to life, there are very few that make their way to that path and live that manner of life. So if you and I were just going to implement some math skills for a couple of moments... Here is what we would have to determine based on what Christ said and not my assessment of it. But what Christ makes clear is this, is that if you were going to look at this from a purely statistical viewpoint, if you were going to look at this from simply a numbers game, here's what you would have to admit, is that a greater than 50% or a majority of people are on the broad, on the wide path, as opposed to the narrow or straight path. You realize this? If many there be are headed toward destruction and few are on the path to the way of life, then here is what you must acknowledge and here is what you must admit is that the majority of people are slowly but methodically destroying their lives and it will lead them to an eternity that is forever destructive in a place called hell. So if you think about that from a very simple perspective, if you think of that from just the simplest of viewpoints that you can, I want us to think what that must look like then in real life. That means that where our kids go to school, over 50% of them are being raised in homes where dad and mom are not Christians, are not on the straight and narrow leading toward life. You realize this? Of the kids that our children go to school with, we could honestly and accurately say the majority of the homes that those children are coming from are not homes where they are Christians, where they are followers of God and the precepts of God. They are coming from homes where mom and or dad are not saved, and they are slowly but surely destroying their lives and destroying their futures. 
So what does that mean of the kids? It means this, that over 50% of the children in our city, in our town right now, over 50% of them are on a road to destruction. You say, Brother Kyle, that's so negative. Brother Kyle, that's so cynical. Brother Kyle, that's, that's such a pessimistic attitude and an approach to take. Hold on, I'm just telling you what Christ said. The majority of them are on a path to destruction. They are not on the road to life. So if you have issue with what's being said this morning, it's not with me, but it's with the words of Christ and the disciples, because I can assure you nothing has changed. More parents and more children than not are headed down a road of destruction for this life. So what else does that mean? It means this. The majority of the people that you work with are not on the straight and narrow path of life. The majority of the people that you work with, you know what they are doing? They are living in such a way that they are destroying their lives, not only now, but eternally. What does that mean by way of our neighborhoods? It just means this, that the majority of them are destroying their lives by way of our neighbors. They are destroying their lives, not just today, but for all eternity. Somebody says, I don't like this kind of preaching. I understand it may not be the most popular approach to preaching, but friends, it's still a biblical truth that must be recognized and must be dealt with. The majority of individuals in our culture and in our society today, they are on a path of destruction that will lead them to a real place called hell. And it does not matter that we live in an area that is saturated with churches. It does not matter that we live in an area where so many people call themselves Christians. All you have to do is look in verse number 21 to be reminded of this. Look what it says. It says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? He said, And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. What is Christ making very clear in these verses? He is making clear. It doesn't matter what you say, and it doesn't matter necessarily what you have done. A person can be good and say all the right things and still enter into a place called hell. So what does Christ make very clear? He makes very clear that a profession of faith doesn't mean that a person is on their way to heaven. Just because a person talks a good talk and just because a person lives a good life according to their culture and according maybe to other people's standards, that is not a guarantee of salvation. You have to do the will of the Father in order to be saved, which means you must call upon Christ in order to be saved, to repent of your sins, to call upon Him. And friends, if that hasn't happened, then salvation hasn't taken place. So let's look at this from an honest, non-emotional perspective. Christ said it doesn't matter the profession. It doesn't even matter some of the actions. The majority of people, let's listen now, the majority of folks are on that broad path that will lead to their destruction. 
So if we want to put this in some kind of a, a scope of reference that we can understand, that maybe we can identify with, let me just put it this way and let's see if this helps us any. The next time you go to the store, look around and acknowledge this truth that over half of them most likely are on their way to hell. The next time you go to your children's ball game, the next time you go to your child's sporting event, whatever it is, look around and acknowledge this truth that over half of them, according to the statistics that God gave through Christ, over half of them are going to go to hell one day. The children at those sporting events, at those choir events, whatever it may be, the majority of those children will one day die without Christ and spend forever in hell. The majority of your co-workers are going to destroy their lives and destroy their eternity because they have rejected Christ. The majority of our neighbors are going to die without Christ and enter into a devil's hell. That is the statistics that Christ gave. Are we understanding this? The children their parents, our co-workers, our neighbors, many in our families. You know what is true? They are without Christ. They are on the broad path. They have gone through that wide gate. It leads to destruction. That is where many find themselves because few enter in at the straight gate that leads unto life. So that being said, I want us to turn this morning to Luke chapter 16. In Luke chapter 16, we begin reading in verse number 19, a very familiar portion of Scripture to, to, to many of us. It says in verse number 19, There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. So for those of us who are familiar with the story, we know what's being recorded here. Christ is speaking and he speaks of this rich man who dressed well and who enjoyed the finer things of life that were available to them. In verse number 20 it says, And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, not the Lazarus, to, or not to be confused with the Lazarus who Christ raised from the dead, but it says, And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate, the rich man's gate, full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, Moreover, the dogs came and looked, licked his source. So we see a great contrast between these two men and how they lived. The rich man who lived very well, who lived uh, extremely comfortably for their day, and then this poor man named Lazarus who had the sores on his body, and all Lazarus wanted was to eat from the crumbs of the rich man's table. So in verse number 22 it says, And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried into Abraham's bosom, the rich man also died and was buried. So either on the same night or within a very close proximity of time, both the rich man and the poor man Lazarus passed away. And notice what it says in verse number 22 of, of the poor man Lazarus. It said that he was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. But in verse number 23 it says, 
and in hell of the rich man, it says, He lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. Now there's much more that could be said about that, but I want us to see this, that the poor man Lazarus made his way into paradise, but the rich man, it says, was in hell, and that he was in a place of torment. Now let's listen, please. This is very important. He was in a place of torment. This was not an enjoyable position to find himself in. This was not a good position for him or anyone else to be in. And so as he is in this place of torment, as he is in this miserable position, it says in verse number 24, And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. So the rich man is tormented, tormented listen, because of the fire of hell that he is in. And he is desperate for just a little bit of relief, just enough that it would be a, a drop of water on the tongue or, or on, the, on the fingertip of Lazarus on the tongue of the rich man. And, and in response to that, in verse number 25, it says, But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. So what did Abraham say in response to the request of the rich man? He said, listen, there's a great gulf between us. There's a great divide between us. We can't come to you. You couldn't come to us. That is what it's there for. Listen, this is the way it is. So notice in verse number 27 what we've got. It said, then he said. Who's that a reference to? It's a reference to the rich man. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. What did the rich man request of Abraham? He said, please send Lazarus back. For what reason? For my father's house. Is that what he said? He said, I've got five brethren and I want them to be testified to. I want them to be preached to. I want them to hear the message that they need to hear. For what reason? Lest they also come into this place of torment. I don't want my brethren coming to where I am in this place of torment. So what does this rich man now have for his family that he had never had for them before? He now had a burden for their soul. As he lived this life and as he fared sumptuously, as he enjoyed the finer things of life, friends, he did not have a care or a concern, one, for the soul of himself or the souls of his father's house or of his brethren. But now that he was in hell and now that he was in torment, you know what he wanted? He wanted someone to go to his father's house and tell his brethren what they needed to hear so that they would not end up in the same place that he was in torment. Is this fair enough? Amen. 
Abraham saith unto him, in verse number 29, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he, the rich man, said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went from them, or went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. So what did the rich man have? He had a burden. Who did he have a burden for? For his father's house, for his brethren, for everyone who would have been associated with the brethren. He did not want his family, those he loved, those he cared about, to end in the same condition that he found himself in. Now this morning you may be sitting here and you're listening and you're trying to, to tie all the thoughts together, but you may be struggling to see where all this is headed. So I want us to think about this. I want us to think about the number of people that we know, the number of people that we come into contact with, the number of people that we see on a regular basis. And as a result of that, I want us to think about this, that every one that we know, every person that we are acquainted with, every person that we have a relationship with, you know what they have? They have deceased relatives and people who cared and loved them. Does this make sense? That person you work beside, they've probably got a parent or an in-law or a grandparent already in eternity. That, that, that child that our kids go to school with, it, it may not be their parent, but it could be a grandparent or a great-grandparent. And that person that we live beside, they've already got somebody in eternity that was a part of their lives. It may have been a spouse. It may have been the parent. It may have been a child. We don't know who it would have been. But everyone that we come into contact with, you know what they've already got on the other side? They've already got someone who has left their life and entered into eternity. That's just the reality of life. Now go back to the numbers that Christ gave. Go back to the numbers that Christ presented to the disciples there in Matthew chapter 7. You know what is then fair for us to say by way of everyone that we know and the people who have already entered into eternity from their lives? Listen, you know what is fair to say? That many of the people who have already deceased of those that we still have contact with the majority of them died and went to hell. You understand the, the thought process here, right? Let's just take that co-worker for an example. That, that co-worker who you work beside every day, let's just assume that their father or their mother or their grandfather or grandmother has already passed and entered into eternity. The chances are greater that that family member went into hell rather than into heaven or paradise. Now I want to share with you something that I lose sight of and that probably many of you lose sight of consistently, and that is this, is that those who have already died, you know what they now have that they probably never had before? They now have the greatest burden for the souls of their family member that they have ever known in their existence. Just makes sense? Amen. Right now, there is someone in hell. And you know what they 
would not want for anyone, but especially their loved ones, those that they care about, they don't want their loved ones to come to the same place that they're at today. There is someone in hell right now. And you say, oh, Brother Kyle, you're just making this up. No, consider Scripture and see what it says and see if I'm being honest. There is someone in hell today who wants your co-worker saved more than you can imagine. There is someone in hell right now who wants that child that your kids go to school with. They want them saved more than you and I could imagine. There is someone who wants our neighbors saved. They are in hell right now and they want our neighbors saved more than our minds can grasp. Why? Because the statistics would show that most enter into hell rather than into heaven upon their death. And when they enter into hell, they now have a newfound burden for those who still have the chance to get on the straight path and the narrow path. That's their burden, but guess what? They can't do anything about it. Because one cannot come back from the dead to try to influence the future direction of those still alive. So who then should that burden fall upon? Should it not fall upon the children of God? Who are supposedly on that straight and narrow, who are on that path of life that leadeth to life everlasting? Shouldn't we feel a portion of that burden that those in hell are now experiencing? You say, I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay, think about this. There is someone in hell who desperately wants your co-worker to hear the truth of God's word. So who then does it become the responsibility of and who should have the burden to tell your co-worker about Jesus Christ and salvation and the truth of God's word? Who should have that burden? It should be you with your co-worker. It's not the responsibility of the church and the pastor to reach that co-worker. It should be our burden to realize this co-worker is lost and that needs to be my burden because there is someone in hell hoping that I'll be able to reach that person so that that person doesn't end up in hell like they are at this time. Somebody has a burden for our neighbor. But they're in hell and they can't do anything about it. Who is the only one who can have some influence in their lives possibly? Well, that would be us. There is someone in hell right now who has a burden for their grandchild and for their children still living, and yet they have passed into eternity and they're not able to have an influence. So what do they want? They want you to have an influence in the life of that child, in the lives of the parents of that child. That is what they want. Do we see this? There are souls in hell right now and they desperately want you and I to tell their lost family member, their lost loved one, their lost friend about the saving power of Jesus Christ. Now all that being said, 
Let's just be very honest. What plagues culture plagues the church. So what is the church struggling with? Selfishness and self-centeredness. Doesn't really affect me. So therefore, it's really not my problem. After all, I've got my own issues to deal with. After all, we've got our own you know, situations and our own problems and our own things that we have to work through. And I don't have time to worry about and concern myself with everyone else. Are we serious? Unfortunately, we are. Let me just ask you a couple of questions. You don't have to answer them out loud. I just want you to think about this because I have to think about it as well. I want to ask you, that coworker that you work beside all the time and you know they are on that broad path, you know that they have gone in that wide gate and they're living a life that will lead to their eternal destruction, how often are you praying for their salvation? You know, that's not really my relationship with them. You know, that's not really something I can concern myself with. You mean to tell me there is someone in hell crying out that somebody would reach them? You may be the only person in their life who's got the gospel that could ever reach them, but that's not really your responsibility because that's not really the relationship you have with them? How selfish is that of us? When have we ever really sat down with them and said, Hey, listen, I'd like to talk to you. Hey, I'd like to visit with you. I'd like to know if, if everything is the way it should be in your relationship with the Lord. Well, you know, I'm just, I'm not comfortable in, in approaching subjects like that. There is somebody in hell's begging and pleading, Get over your fear and talk to them. They need to hear it. Have we prayed for them? Have we reached out to them? Have we gone to that neighbor? Have we gone to that parent of the child that is friends with our children? Have we gone to them and said, Hey, listen, I just want you to know I care about you. And, and listen, I'm just wondering, you know, do your family, do you go to church? Do you have a relationship with Christ? Somebody says, That's just so forward. L listen, first of all, you can use some tact in how you approach it. But listen, there is someone in hell wanting you to do nothing but approach that person and ask them about their eternity. But if we're not careful, we're like, well, no, I mean, that just make the sporting events awkward. Oh, you know, I mean, it'd just be so weird if they rejected it and they didn't accept it. That, you know, I'd just feel so funny if they, you know, if they thought it was ridiculous. Listen, there's somebody who desperately wants us to open our mouths and give to that person the truth of God's word. But if we're, listen, if we're not careful, you know what is true? We are so selfish. We are so self-absorbed, and as a result, we can come up with any excuse that keeps us from trying to be the witness to the lost that we ought to be. I, I wonder, I don't know this at all, but I wonder, I wonder how many people we've come into contact with, and I said we. I wonder how many people we've come into contact with We've got the truth of God's word. We've got the truth of the gospel. Somebody in hell was screaming, please, please, please talk to them about Jesus. I don't want them to come to this place of torment. But because it wasn't convenient for us, we chose to ignore the topic. Friends, we ought to have a shared burden 
with those who have already entered into eternity. We should be reminded this morning that there is a place called hell. It is a real place, and it is a place of torment, and people are going there every day. The majority of people are going there every day. And if we're not going to have a burden for them, who should? Who should, if not us? just going to ask you again, how often are you praying for those lost people that you come into contact with? I mean specifically, by name. How often are you praying for them? How often are we looking for opportunities to open our mouths and to speak to them about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Friends, if we're too selfish to do that, then what does that say about our relationship with Christ? We should have a burden to tell others because there is someone in hell who desperately wants us to give them the truth of God's word. Let's all stand this morning and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, as we come to you this morning, I pray that you would help us to take just a moment and be willing to ask ourselves how often we think outside ourselves. Lord, how many times can we run into a store and never consider the eternal destination of the person who's helping us? How many times can we go to a concert? How many times can we go to a kid's ball game? How many times can we, can we do so many of the things that we do and never once give consideration to the fact that the majority of these people will spend eternity in hell. God, how selfish are we if we know that there are people in hell today who desperately want us to reach out to their friends and their loved ones with the truth of the gospel, but we just don't have time for that. We're just so nervous. We just don't know what to say. What does that say about us? God, this morning I admit my failure. I admit my my lack of burden that I should have so many times. And, Lord, I pray that you'd help others to admit it this morning. And then, Lord, past admitting it, I pray that you'd help us to do something about it. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.